This weekend is a fifth annual weekend of twinning between Muslim and Jewish communities that are coordinated all throughout North America in which synagogues and mosques and Muslim communities are coming together in order to create understanding between the two. And uh, it seems as though this weekend is a weekend in which we could use this even more so than during most of the rest of the year. Um, this evening we have a, a really a, an amazing speaker, an amazing, I would call a mitzvah hero in our community. And I'd like to, all oh, two of them, we're going to invite up tonight, and we'll, we'll address the Mishar Barak, our own blessings of healing, and for peace for our peoples at that time. For this evening, we have uh, partnered with a group called Abraham's Vision. So anyone here who's aware of Abraham's Vision? Anyone? Abraham's Vision is a wonderful organization here in the Bay Area, especially in San Francisco, but throughout the Bay Area, which brings together Jewish and Muslim teens to meet regularly in dialogue over an assortment of different, uh, different uh, issues, and also to look at the text of Quran and Torah together in order to create lasting relationships and bonds and understandings of the, between the two communities. Um, they do amazing work in the community, and I hope that if you have questions about the work they do or want to get more involved, you'll go to their website, Abraham's Vision, or you'll ask any of us as well. This evening, we are lucky enough to have the distinguished co-executive director of Abraham's Vision, Huda Abu Arkub, and I'm sure I mispronounced that somehow. I did okay this time, Huda? Fantastic. Um, and she is here. Uh, let me give you a brief bio. Huda is one of 12 children. She was born in Jerusalem, in East Jerusalem, and was raised in Hebron. Her parents were both teachers, and she chose to follow in their footsteps, obtaining her diploma in teaching English as a second language, a BA in education and English literature from Al-Quds Open University, and a master's degree in conflict transformation from Eastern Mennonite University, where she served as a Fulbright scholar from 2004 to 2006. Huda is active in grassroots Palestinian initiatives focusing on issues related to human rights and gender equality. And she is a member of several local Palestinian organizations that work on empowering women to be more active in building a healthy society. Through her activities, she has worked with organizations such as Doctors Without Borders, Save the Children International, United Religious Initiative, and the Boston-based University of the Middle East Project. Prior to joining Abraham's Vision, she worked as an educational consultant for the Palestinian Authority's Ministry of Education. She is also a co-executive director and co-founder of the Center for Transformative Education. I'd like to welcome not just Huda up to the Bima now, but also Rachel Nilsson. Rachel is a, a participant and graduate of the Abraham's Vision program. She is beyond that also a member of our teaching staff of our youth and family education program here at Temple Emmanuel. So if you could please join me in welcoming up Huda and Rachel this evening. Why don't you come up to the Bima? Now, before we speak, I, I thought it would we were speaking in my office earlier, and perhaps that we could offer our own joint blessing, both for healing amongst our communities and for peace at this time. Huda, um, of course, spoke to the, the wonderful parallel between the Mishnah, the Code of Jewish Law from 200 CE in Sanhedrin, and a similar statement in uh, the Quran, which speaks of to save one life as though it is to save the entire universe. And so it says then in the Mishnah, that therefore was man created singly, 
to teach you that whoever destroys a single life from Israel is considered by Scripture as if he had destroyed an entire world, and that whoever preserves a single life from Israel is considered by Scripture as if he had preserved an entire world. And in, in Arabic it says, Bismillah ar-Rahman ar-Rahim, Ya ayyuhal nasu inna khalaqnakum min dhakarin wa umtha, wa ja'alnakum shu'uban wa qabaila lita'arifu inna akramakum inda Allahi atqaakum, inna Allah alimun khabir, min ajli thalika katabna ala bani Israel, annahu man qatala nafsan bighayri nafsan, aw fasadin fil ard, faka'annama qatala nasa jami'an, wa man ahyaha, faka'annama ahyya nasa jami'an. It's the same translation, I don't need to do the English translation, it's almost the same. It says, Basically, who he saves or she saves one life as if he saves all lives, and he who um, takes. takes one life as if he, he took or she took all lives. Together, we wanted to stand here united as one, especially at the time of this, this week, to pray not just for the peace of Israel and its outlying neighbors, but also to pray for the people, its inhabitants, our friends, our family members who are there right now, who are in harm's way, um, we pray that ultimately that, the, that um, this conflict may be, if not resolved, at very least diffused to a point in which the violence can be reduced. Here as we meet on this Shabbat evening, the tanks are standing outside of Gaza. 15,000 reservists have been called up in Israel, and it looks like we are on the eve of an imminent ground assault, which would result in major casualties and violence on all sides. We pray for peace throughout the land of Israel and all of its inhabitants, and may that come sooner than later in our time. And together, let us say, Amen. Shabbat Shalom, everybody. Assalamu alaikum. Um, I, I wanted to start by telling you a little bit where I come from, and I come from um, what Muhammad told us, that a true human being is a human being whose people are safe from the, un from the evil uh, uh, done by his tongue or by his hand or her hand. And um, the, the, the teaching that we should stand by both the oppressed and the oppressor at the same time, and when we asked, what do you mean, like we understand standing by the oppressed, but how, how we would stand by the oppressor. And he said that liberating an oppressor is by helping him or her stop and withhold all kinds of oppressive actions. And we cannot say that people liberate, that, that's where I come from, Paulo Freire also. We can, when he said that we cannot say that people liberate themselves or others, but that people in communion liberate each other. My journey of transformation started way back when I was a teenager in, in Hebron in the first Intifada, and I just refused to believe that the other is a monster and the whole world is against me and I'm the ultimate victim. And the only way to heal and to get out of that victimhood status, statehood, um, I just knew that I have to reach out to someone on the other side of the wall and see if that other one is a monster or not. And I initiated a um, um, conversation at that time. We didn't have Facebook or text messaging or anything. It was letters, literally. A letter would take months from Hebron to Jerusalem. 
uh, but I got there and it was pen friends. I became pen friends with students who are my age going through same kind of fears. Years later, I joined um, an, a project in Boston that brings teachers from the Middle East to get together and talk about what's wrong with our educational system in the Middle East, why we are not giving uh, our youth uh, more opportunities to get together instead of dominating their education, instead of making them another product of the same, product, <coughs> same origin that we came from. And that all, including my Fulbright research, uh, led me to Abraham's vision. And I wanted to say that Abraham's I'm going to be a little bit, um, uh, you know, a teacher type of uh, person here. So I'm going to just say that uh, what we believe in, um, in Abraham's vision is that there is a need. And the need is that young adults are subject to the same patterns of, of conflict embedded in the communities and relationships in which they develop. So the narratives that inform these conflicts shape their identities, perpetuating existing attitudes from generation to generation. So we have dominant narratives, and we keep listening to these narratives growing up. And so they affect the way, the way we believe uh, who we are and the, and the attitude toward the other. These patterns can be broken and changed by intercepting each generation as at its point of in independence, during high school, which what we do with high school students, Muslim and Jewish high school students, and college students. But many, many approaches to conflict and identity for these age groups are ineffective because they place resolution or feel-good factors as a primary goal rather than addressing the core issue that causes the conflict. Now, we come to the belief. Abraham's vision believes that conflict must be approached through identity and that by exploring the narratives of identity, generational patterns can be recast into new thinking and new relationships. By creating a balanced awareness raising forum where students can unpack these narratives, not just disown them, unpack them, um, uh, and where are you? These narratives, listening, engagement, and interaction can turn embedded pat patterns into personal and emotional transformations that ripple out to change the world. And tonight, I am with my, she's a student, she's a, uh, she's a partner, but she's going to talk about her personal experience doing the vision program, which takes students to the Balkans. It's a different conflict zone, has many similarities with the Israeli-Palestinian conflict, has a focus on the identity and narrative part. Rachel was uh, a vision program fellow. She's still a fellow in a way. And uh, she's speaking to you today about her personal experience. Thank you. Shalom, everybody. I'm really honored to be um, here um, with Huda. Uh, I want to share with you a little about the context um, in which I entered Abraham's vision. I was a student at San Francisco State University, and I was incredibly involved with Hillel. Uh, I was the president of Israel Coalition, and in my advocacy work um, uh, regarding Israel and especially the conflict on that campus, I came into you know, many hostile conversations, and it was about winning the argument. And I was very well prepped to win the Israel argument. Um, I majored in history and minored in Jewish studies, so it was not just my academic work, it was my activist work 
And um, I found myself graduating and accepting a position at San Francisco Hillel, where I remain today as um, this assistant director. And I, I realized I've never had a conversation with a Palestinian, ever. <laughs> never a you know, casual um, conversation, and, and never one where we weren't each trying to win. And I, I found that to be really problematic as I entered um, into my role as an educator, because how am I supposed to talk to these students that in some ways are on the front lines of the American conflict on our college campuses, and how am I supposed to help them as they, you know, as you said, unpack these narratives that they're inheriting and they're experiencing for the first time. So I, I was told about Abraham's vision, and I signed up. And little did I know that I'd be you know, getting off a plane in Belgrade and learning about the former Yugoslavia and Serbia and Kosovo and Bosnia and you know, the atrocities that happened there. And in the midst of that, you know, I found myself with six Palestinians and six Jews. And, and we came from all different parts of the world, literally and figuratively. We came from you know, Palestinians who live within Israel, uh, Palestinians who are in the United States, Christians and Muslims. On the Jewish end of the spectrum, we had Israelis. We had um, a Jew from South America. We had all over the religious spectrum, reform, uh, atheists. We had uh, someone whose father had been an Orthodox rabbi. And we had you know, gay and straight alike. So it was, it was quite a diverse mixed group. And what I, I came to experience over the four weeks that we were in the Balkans was not just uh, a space of listening and as who does it feel good, you know, talking about our issues? What I really noticed, um, what I really noticed was beginning to happen was I was really starting to actually pull in deeper to my Jewish values. Uh, tikkun olam, something I had been raised with. I heard it every day of my life almost. But what it meant to me in this moment as I became part of this group and as we began to share with one another was really this idea that it was up to me now, um, in this moment, to repair this relationship between myself and maybe the Jews who had felt excluded from Jewish communities from their views on Israel, as well as the Palestinians in front of me who had, you know, had completely different issues that they had faced throughout their journeys. Um, I came back, I went back to my campus, I went back to my Hillel and, and our Jewish community here, and I've been working with students ever since to kind of change the conversation that we're having around Israel and around um, Israel-Palestinian conflict. And one of the things that's really inspired me is this, this concept of conflict transformation and about changing not my politics, uh, not even my religious beliefs, not necessarily even my ethics in, in any way. It w what Abraham's vision did for me was gave me a space um, to recognize the power of the narrative I inherited, as well as the power of the narrative of the other that was in front of me. Um, I remain to this day very close friends with uh, the people I traveled to the Balkans with. In fact, uh, this week especially, we've been chatting one another, making sure we're okay, uh, talking to each other as family members. And they've helped me write, you know, not just curriculum around the Israel-Palestine conflict, but uh, Inat and Sana, two of the um, women in the group, are going to Skype in to talk to my Rosh Hodesh group about ethnic feminism. So this really permeates in everything that I do. I really believe in the work and, and, and ultimately in, in my obligation as someone committed to Sedek, as someone committed to Tikkun Olam, to listening to the narrative of the other. And I think the most important thing I learned from this entire experience is that 
there's so many more narratives within our own internal Jewish community that we really take the time to listen to. So um, thank you. Yeah. And we were hoping that this, this approach to getting together and creating their own narrative as adults, uh, gr as youth growing up, uh, is going to be the new thinking, the new doors that we will open to others in order not to be overly polarized over the conflict, rather working together to transform the conflict. And we hope, we pray, and we work hard in order for this to happen. So thank you so much. Shabbat shalom to you all, and thank you for listening to us. <laughs> thank you. One more moment. First of all, thank you again so much for taking time out of your busy schedule to be here. Um, last week's Torah portion, Chaye Sarah, ends with the burial of Abraham uh, with his children, Isaac and Ishmael, the, uh, to become the fathers of the Jewish and the Muslim peoples who come together and to perform that mitzvah. Sadly enough, they come together for a burial, which is all too much in line with where our current politics leave us. This week's Torah portion, which Zevin will teach us all about tomorrow, told Dot, which means generations, is similarly another story about family infighting and the story of Jacob and Esau and how their violence and their, between one another drove the families apart. But eventually in all of these cases in Torah, there is a reunification and people come together realizing that all of us are B'Tselem Elohim, all of us made in the image of God. I'd like to personally thank Huda and thank Rachel as well for being part of the work that reminds us that we are indeed B'Tselem Elohim and teaching that to our greater communities. So Shabbat Shalom and thank you both.